Don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Thanks for joining us today. This is the Hour of Intercession. I'm Pastor Joseph Parker. We invite you to look with us to begin with in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, beginning at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All of Psalm 23. Then looking in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Verses 25 to 37, Luke chapter 10. Father, we thank you for being our good and our great shepherd. Thank you for being our King of kings, our Lord of lords. Your El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. You're all of this and so, so much more. Thank you, Lord, for loving us with an everlasting love. And thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've saved us and brought us out of the world made us brand new, and made us a part of your family. And now you've commissioned us to go forward to carry your love, your compassion, your mercy to a world that's been beat up and left on the side of the road for dead. Anoint us afresh today, Lord, with the spirit of compassion. Help us to be a people that love you deeply and love people deeply according to the wisdom and the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Hour of Intercession. Rick Robertson is our producer. He is going to lead us in a word of prayer at this time. Father, we join the psalmist who said, We wait in hope for you. Father, you are our 
help and our shield. In you, Father, our hearts rejoice. We trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Father, what a, what a God you are that we can place all of our hope in you, that people around the world can come to you with their needs, and you meet those needs. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Hour of Intercession. We appreciate you being a part of our listening family. We are blessed and honored to have as our phone guest today, Attorney Thomas Glessner. He's the president of an organization called NIFLA, which is short for National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. Uh, Thomas, great to have you with us. I'm going to ask if you'll just take time now to further introduce yourself and then tell our listeners about the work and mission of NIFLA. Thank you, Joseph. I really appreciate your uh, having me on. Uh, I am uh, an attorney uh, from the state of Washington originally, uh, practiced law there for 10 years before we moved to Washington, D.C. to get really involved in the pro-life movement. But during my time in Seattle as a a private attorney, my wife and I got very involved in the pro-life movement, and we started in the early 80s what was then the first crisis pregnancy center, as we call them, in the Northwest. Um, And uh, for 10 years, we worked to develop that. And then I was hired to uh, become the CEO of the Christian Action Council in Washington, D.C. area in 1987. And that organization is now known as CareNet. Now, during this time period, the uh, pro-abortion movement was just irate about the establishment of pro-life pregnancy centers. And so in 1982, in the offices of Planned Parenthood uh, in New York, they contrived a conspiracy to smear, discredit, and even close down pro-life pregnancy centers. And uh, under this uh, campaign, which exists today, the line of attack was these centers are deceptive, they're fraudulent, they lie about abortion, they're unlicensed, they need to be closed down. Um, and uh, when we were in Seattle, we faced a lot of attacks like that. But when I went back to the Christian Action Council in 1987, I saw that this attack was nationwide. And then later learned that, the, of course, it was nationwide because it was uh, contrived in the New York offices of Planned Parenthood and spread out nationwide. Um, I served at the Christian Action Council for five years. We had a, a network of crisis pregnancy centers, as well as a political division where we lobbied Congress. And then at the end of 1992, I established NIFLA, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, to be a legal organization to help pregnancy centers uh, in all these legal issues and, and keep them out of court. Uh, so, And I always tell our members, I said, I, I've got one guaranteed way to win a lawsuit. You know what that could be, Joseph? One guaranteed way to win a lawsuit. What is that way? <laughs> never get sued. Mm-hmm. That if sounds like a good sued, strategy. Never... <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, many centers, they, they had big hearts, uh, but empty heads on what was needed. And so mm-hmm. they were doing some things that could be pointed out. And, and with enemies wanting to close them down, they could create some legal liability problems. So we started NIFLA to address that, to be a legal organization for pregnancy centers, doing legal audits, trainings. One of, one of the key things is, you know, when you, when you call a, a lawyer on the phone about anything right now, spend 15 minutes with him or her on the phone, you're going to get a bill for $100 in the mail. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, well, centers can't afford that. So we started our organization to be a membership organization at, at a, a very affordable fee. The centers that join can get a variety of legal help, including an unlimited consultation, uh, trainings, uh, board, uh, legal audits, those types of things. Uh, <clears throat> today, our membership uh, is comprised of uh, 1,646 uh, pro-life pregnancy centers in, in across the country. Now, one major thing besides the legal work we do is our, our work with centers helping them get established as medical clinics, uh, because as medical clinics, they are able to provide ultrasound to confirm a pregnancy for a mother who's considering abortion. And we all know that when that mother who's considering abortion sees her child, her baby, on the ultrasound screen, the vast majority, in fact, the number is about 80 to 90 percent of those women will choose life. Without the ultrasound, that number is about 20 to 25 percent. Uh, so we established our medical clinic division in the, the late 90s, helping centers legally convert to medical uh, under the, the guidelines, medical and legal guidelines, legally convert, and then to train them on how to legally provide ultrasound to confirm pregnancy. It's called limited obstetric ultrasound, and it, it's a pre- procedure that's got to, got to follow medical protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have trainings, uh, and to date we've trained over 5,000, uh, primarily RNs to use what we call limited ultrasound, mm-hmm. uh, but other some doctors, and uh, they're all working with our pro-life network around the country uh, to provide this service to Mothers in their community are committed, who are thinking about abortion. So the wonderful thing about that is uh, a mother is thinking, i got to have an abortion, i got to have an abortion. And uh, we say, well, first you've got to make sure you're pregnant before you make that decision. Uh, and so the way we do that is through an ultrasound confirmation of pregnancy. The mother sees that baby on the screen, and 80 to 90% of those mothers will choose life. So that's a, that's a big thing. Final thing about NIFLA is in our legal side, we, we've been defending pregnancy centers, various lawsuits and uh, legislative actions across the country. But in 2018, a major Supreme Court case uh, in the case called NIFLA, that's us, NIFLA versus Becerra, uh, protected pregnancy centers from a vicious attack in the state of California. California had mandated that uh, pro-life pregnancy centers post on their walls a sign advising their clients, their patients, that they have a right to state-funded abortion and that, and give them an 800 number to call to get the state-funded abortion started. Well, we sued uh, the state of California as a, uh, to enjoin that law as a violation of free speech. Um, you have a constitutional right to free speech. And that constitutional right to free speech also is a right not to be mandated and compelled by the government to say a message with which you fundamentally disagree. And they were forcing pregnancy centers to be abortion referral agencies. So we sued the state of California and achieved a major, major victory in the case of NIFLA versus Becerra in 2018. And the Cato Institute uh, in Washington, D.C., a think tank, called it the most significant free speech victory in our lifetime, mm-hmm. uh, preventing uh, small nonprofit Christian ministries from being mandated and compelled by the government to speak a message with which they do not agree. And this case has been protecting churches and Christian counselors in all sorts of areas since, uh, since then. So that's NIFLA. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, Tom, um, I'm going to ask if you if you would take a moment now specifically specifically to pray for listeners to really uh, have ears to hear whatever the Holy Spirit wants to say to them through the broadcast. And then, because amongst other things, many listeners may very well be simply called of the Lord to become intercessors to pray for the work in the mission of Nifla. Others may be called to become financial supporters, maybe other things as well, but there may be those who will just simply learn important truths they need to learn about the life issue. So would you pray for them to have ears to hear whatever the Lord wants to say to them through the broadcast today? Yes, sure, I'd be honored. Um, Father, we lift up our listening audience to you right now. They're listening from all parts of the country. They uh, may be supporters. They may be hostile. They may not have an opinion. But we know that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak the truth to them, not only uh, to convict them of what's going on in this country regarding the sanctity of life, but also to challenge them to get involved in their local communities. Every every community has a, a pro-life pregnancy center there, and there's opportunities for the body of Christ to come together and to really support these these agents of life and life-affirming uh, ministries that are so important now in the light of the reversal of Roe versus Wade. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Father, to thank you for uh, the work of NIFLA and thank you for ministries that help uh, pregnancy clinics and other pro-life ministries do what they do. Father, more and more, help us to learn to look to you for wisdom, grace, guidance, strength, protection, and whatever else in view of the fact that we live in a culture that's been hostile towards pregnancy clinics a long time and only in many ways seems to be ramping it up even more so in our culture and our world today. Father, help every believer to become one who will pray much for NIFLA and pregnant and the ministry of pregnancy clinics on an ongoing basis in our culture this day. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Our phone guest today is attorney Thomas Glessner. He's the president of NIFLA, National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. We'll be right back. This is the story of a runaway with no way home and no I threw the best of me away I had my chance, it's too late now Too far gone and too ashamed To think that you'd still know my name But love refused to let my story in that way You didn't wait for me To find my way to you I couldn't cross that music of Casting Crowns with Love Moved First. You're listening to the Hour of Intercession. Our phone guest today is Attorney Thomas Glessner. He's the president of NIFLA, which is National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. Uh, So, Thomas, if you'll kind of pick up where you left off there, please. Well, sure. Um, So, in 1991, 
I was still at the Christian Action Council. I wrote a book entitled Achieving an Abortion-Free America. Now, the publisher added on the, the rest of the title they added on by 2001. I think they thought that made it more dramatic and, uh, you know, might sell more books. I don't know if it did or not. But the phrase Achieving Abortion-Free America was launched then. And there, there's, there's a couple things that have to happen to do that. And that book was predicated on the expectation that President George H.W. Bush would be reelected in 1992. He was riding high in the polls then after Iraq won. And um, that as in his second term, he would uh, uh, get several appointments to the Supreme Court that would allow us to overturn Roe versus Wade. You can't have an abortion-free America until you have a post-Roe America. So that's the first step. So that book was predicated on that. And uh, as an attorney, I was on some legal uh, coalitions. We, we worked to get justices on the court, and we had our case before the court then in the spring of 1992, um, expecting Roe to be overturned. But in fact, it, we lost five to four, and it was mm-hmm. such a heartbreak. And, and then, and then, President Bush didn't get reelected, and Bill Clinton got elected, and he got two appointments to the court, and they were obviously pro-abortion, pro-Roe v. Wade. So we're going into, you know, the next few years uh, with a seven to two vote on the court to support Roe. Uh, the idea of an achieving an abortion-free America was totally out of reach. Uh, I was very discouraged. Um, I stepped down from the Christian Action Council at that time and uh, intended to return to the practice of law in Seattle, but we don't have time to get into how NIFLA happened. It just it was a miracle. <laughs> That's 30 years ago. We're still here. And uh, we began to work as, okay, so maybe we're not going to get Roe versus Wade uh, done or or thrown out, but we're going to strengthen the pregnancy centers because that's where lives are being saved anyway. And regardless of whether Roe is a law of the land or not, pregnancy centers can save lives. And so that's how NIFLA began uh, at the end of 92, and we we officially opened in 1993. Okay, so uh, now, now we've... We've achieved a post-Roe America through the, the Dobbs decision this year. A miracle of miracles. I could talk on and on about what happened over the years. I mean, it's been 30 years mm-hmm. since the Casey decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have time to get into it other than to say through God's uh, sovereignty, his timing's not ours, um, we achieved a post-Roe America. Mm-hmm. But Post-Roe America is not abortion-free America. Um, and I guess the, the best analogy I can use is World War II, when, when England was under the huge battle from the Nazis, mm-hmm. and they were just getting their backsides kicked. London being bombed, and the islands around uh, Britain taken over by the Nazis, and America wasn't in the war yet. And finally, England achieves a victory in what's called the Battle of Egypt in North Africa. It was a small victory, and probably in the light of the history, it wasn't a very significant victory in the war, but it was a victory. Mm-hmm. And Churchill says this. He says, uh, this is not the end. It is not the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Later on, America enters the war. We have the invasion of Normandy in one of the bloodiest battles in military history. Thousands of young men slaughtered on that beach. But we we landed. 
We established a beachhead at Omaha Beach. Now, we didn't win the war there, but we got on the beach. Mm-hmm. Had to keep marching. Had to keep moving into France until we got into Germany. Well, the Dobbs decision overturning Roe gets us on the beach. We're on the beach now. Mm-hmm. And um, we have to keep moving. We have to keep fighting, and uh, it, it's far from over. So... Um, that's where we call an abortion-free America. Our, our vision and goal is an abortion-free America. Mm-hmm. Um, so my book is now alive again, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, with a lot more substance to it, because a lot more has happened since it was written. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've outlined three three elements to achieve that abortion-free America. And I, you know, I know we're, we're short of time, so I will try to get get through a couple of them before we do a break, but. The first element to achieve an abortion-free America is simply we've got to have legal protection now for the unborn and their mothers. Now, uh, this is going to go state by state um, because the Dobbs decision said there's no constitutional right to abortion. Uh, The issue of abortion is left up to the elected officials. Therefore, each state will decide uh, how far they want to go in legal protection. Some states are going to go further than others. and I, I'm supportive of any any legislative action that saves lives. Mm-hmm. It may not get us totally there, but if it saves lives, we're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, if if every state tomorrow legislature met and banned abortion outright, <clears throat> we wouldn't have an abortion-free America. Mm-hmm. Abortion would still continue. The other side would be figuring all sorts of ways uh, to, uh, you know, back alley abortions and chemical abortions and also, so the, the political legal end of it is only one piece. It's not the ultimate. And sometimes the pro-life movement is defined by that political part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in fact, it's only one piece. And without the other two pieces, we don't get there. Um, the second piece is a compelling network of pro-life pregnancy centers and alternatives to abortion services so that no mother who's considering abortion or without those services and that the services are so overwhelming, they're compelling that very few women are going to choose abortion. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a wonderful network right now, but there's so much more to do. Um, This is where our listening audience can come in. You can be involved in helping develop that pregnancy center uh, in your community so that it's just compelling. I, I'm going to give you an example. I was um, uh, three, a uh, couple months ago in Las Vegas for a pro-life conference. And that, that Las Vegas conference was sponsored by a fabulous pregnancy center. They're seeing eight to 900 women a month. And they've got three ultrasound machines. They're a medical clinic. They're doing all the things we're, tell- we're teaching them to do. They're providing all these services. It's very compelling. However, as great as they are in Las Vegas, there are six abortion clinics operating six days a week. Mm. And so no matter how compelling this one center is, there's more to do. Mm-hmm. So we've got to get better. We've got to get bigger. We've got to be more effective so that mothers are just simply compelled to choose life. You combine that with uh, the legal protection that we achieve, now we're starting to move in the right direction. We're starting to move into France and, and take over the, the countryside and, and all of that that needed to happen after our landing in, in Normandy Beach. Mm-hmm. So that's the 
second element, and that is where the listening audience can really be involved. Some people don't want to be involved in politics. I understand it's a nasty business. Uh, it's necessary. Some people like it. Most Christians, my experience tells me, they don't like it. Mm-hmm. They, they want to run away from it. Okay, I understand that. Uh, but you have a pregnancy center there in your, your community, and you can meet with a director. You can find out what their needs are. You can get involved as a, as counselors. You can uh, provide needed financial resources. You you can get your churches to put them on the budget. Um, you, all sorts of things that can happen. Everybody listening can be doing this. You don't have to be involved in politics. Mm. Well, Thomas, I want to ask, would you take time now to pray for listeners to really grasp that, that Everyone can help. There's something every single person can do as opposed to people thinking, well, I don't know much about it and I am not. don't have this gift or that strength, but some, there's, there's work for us all. Would you pray for believers to grasp that? Sure. Thank you. Um, Lord, we just lift up uh, the body of Christ and the listening audience to you right now. Everyone listening right now has an opportunity they may not feel comfortable in the public arena. Uh, some some will, and those that will, I want to encourage them and empower them to move ahead. We need Christian voices in the public <coughs> uh, arena. We need to speak the message of life. We need to um, get our legislators to support legislation that's going to protect lives. But we need we need to go further, Lord, and everyone, everyone, whether they want to get involved that way or not, can be involved their local pregnancy center and uh, developing that to such a degree that the the services are so compelling in their communities that very few women are going to choose abortion, but they're going to choose life. So we lift that up to you and um, and ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, too, thank you for every believer listening, every church represented, and thank you for the opportunity you give us all of being vessels that you can use your hands and your feet in a world with so, so many needs. Lord, stir every believer in every single church to recognize, Lord, that, again, we're simply to represent you, to represent your heart. And, Lord, I pray that churches and individuals would seek in prayer and really say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And they'd be wide open to what you would have them to do. So many needs in so many regards as it relates to helping to save babies and support the ministries that do it. Help us to be an obedient people in every way that we can be. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, so, Thomas, you were sharing about the, the second arm, then. So, uh, so there's a third arm to your strategy as well, correct? That's correct. And this, this becomes difficult to speak about sometimes, particularly with a a Christian listening audience, because there's so much pain and there's so many wounds that, in in the body of Christ, I'm talking now, Mm -hmm. about this, that people don't really want to hear hear it. Um, And yet we have to talk about it, because in order... For this to happen, when I call an abortion-free America, first let me back away a little bit. What do we mean by an abortion-free America? An abortion-free America is an America where there's a culture of life in every community across the country. And in that culture of life, pregnancy services are so compelling and overwhelming that very few women choose abortion, that every life 
no matter what the circumstances are of their, their conception and their coming into the world, is loved, honored, and, and uh, welcomed by the community. That's mm-hmm. the culture of life. Now, if you add on to that legal protection as well, we get there. But you've got to have a culture of life for all this to happen. Now, when I talk about a culture of life, I'm talking about the church. Mm-hmm. This is the church's responsibility. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the church's calling. And um, a lot of pastors who they're, they're not for abortion, but you know they'll say, uh, "Well, sure, I, I support pro-life stuff, and sure we'll send you a hundred bucks a month, and you know, and just add on to their checklist of things to do." And, uh, and oh, we'll we'll send a um, a table to your banquet, you know, and, and uh, put us on your newsletter. Well, all that's good, but it's not it's not going to get us there. Mm-hmm. So wh- what's going on in the church here? Um, and this is what, what I'm about to speak about is, is really going to be uncomfortable for people to hear. Um, abortion is rampant in the church. Mm-hmm. The um, statistics from a sister organization, CareNet, which has done a lot of research into this, show that the percentage of women having abortions who claim some allegiance to the Christian faith is about the same rate as percentage of women who have no faith base at all. Mm-hmm. And you, you ask yourself, why is that? Um, well, you know, why, why, how can we ever take the uh, speck of dust out of our neighbor's eye when there's such a log in our own? Mm-hmm. And... Pastors are refusing to really deal with this. Some of them talk once a year at Sanctity of Life Sunday on it, and we'll put a, a notice in the bulletin about the upcoming banquet. Uh, but really building a culture of life in the Church is really not happening the way it needs to. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to share a, a story with you. I know we've got to go to a break soon, so just let me know when we, when we do the break, and I'll come back to this. But... Um, I'm going to share with you a story, and maybe this is a good time to break after the story, and I can pick up on it. Uh, years, years ago, <clears throat> years ago, it was before NIFLA was started. I was with the Christian Action Council at the time. I was invited to speak at a church in Baltimore. I we lived in Northern Virginia at that time, uh, uh, on a Sunday, and it was about like a three-hour drive, so I had to get up really early to drive up there to Baltimore, and uh, got got to the church at about 7.30 in the morning, and there was the members of the pro-life committee on the steps of the church waiting for me, and they'd take me out to breakfast, and they peppered me with lots of questions, uh, and I, I noticed, there, wow, there's a lot of enthusiasm here. And then after breakfast, we go to the adult Sunday school class, and the, the, the class was packed. Thomas, we're going to have to jump in right here with the break, and we will pick up right there on the other side. Our phone guest today is Thomas Attorney Thomas Glessner. He's the president of NIFLA, National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. We'll be right back.
Music from Elevation Worship with a song simply entitled Grateful. Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession here on American Family Radio. Our phone guest today is Attorney Thomas Glessner. He's the president of NIFLA, National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. And uh, Thomas, if you'll pick up right there where you left off as you were sharing the story you were sharing. Sure. Um, I was... uh greeted at the church by the pro-life committee. They took me out to breakfast and a very enthusiastic group wanted to know more and more how they could be more effective. It took me to the adult Sunday school class. Now, mind you, this is 1991, um, the time period here. Took me out to breakfast and then uh, adult Sunday school class. And then I spoke at the morning service. Um, the, The church was packed, and I realized this church had done an awful lot of uh, PR for this. And then I, they took me out to lunch afterwards, the pastor and his wife, very gracious people, and lots of people wanted to talk more. And so I'm thinking now, if every church in America were like this, we'd have very few abortions. And I was curious as to why this church was so different. So I'm walking there. A couple of them walking me back to my cars and saying goodbye. And I asked them, "Well, what what caused this uh, enthusiasm and passion in your church about the life issue?" And then they shared something. They said, "Well, about four years ago, the pastor's wife stood up in front of the congregation and confessed she'd had four abortions before she'd married her husband." And um, I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty brave. <laughs> brave of the pastor, too, to, mm-hmm. to allow that. And um, I said, so what happened? And they said the, the dam broke. The whole dam exploded and broke, and it was a floodgate. Um, women in the church who had had abortions began to come forward and confess. And men in the church who had been involved in abortion were confessing and healing was happening in the church. And it wasn't just that this church was pro-life. I mean, that was part of it, but they were, they were doing everything Jesus commanded us to do. They were clothing the naked. They were feeding the hungry. They were visiting those in prison. This Mm -hmm. whole church was ignited because the dam burst. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> abortion is not is is a sin. There are many sins, and uh, it's not to be condemned as greater than any other sins. But it is a sin, and I will say, in my my career, I've never seen a sin that has so destructive in the self esteem of people, mm-hmm. and in in the blockage of people to be able to relate to, uh, particularly women to their husbands. Uh, the blockage of uh, people being related to even God as their father. And uh, it, it's not just, oh, we'll get over it, tomorrow's a new day, and move on. Uh, you know, that's n- not it at all. True true healing has to come here in the lives of people, and these people are in our churches. So I began to think about this, and I'm thinking, how many pastors in this country have experienced this, and that's what's blocking them from speaking out. Um, they speak out, and 
Satan comes to them and says, "Yeah, you big hypocrite! Don't you remember what happened when you were 21 years old? Huh? Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna speak on this when you were involved, or maybe a pastor's children have been involved, or whatever." And so it's blocking them from speaking out. Um, so in order for us to create this culture of life, we have to have a, a revival in the church on this specific sin, not a general revival. You know, sometimes we we quote the passage, uh, if my people who call by my name shall humble themselves and pray <clears throat> and turn from their wicked ways. Well, that's a wonderful passage. But mm-hmm. what are the wicked ways we're turning from? Get specific here. Um, and I've been in, you know, National Days of Prayer and everything where that verse is quoted a lot, but nobody's get, given any direction on what are we repenting from. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> in the... Um, the book of Isaiah, I encourage everybody to read the first chapter of Isaiah now in, in light of what I've just said, and, and, and see if what I'm about to say is correct or not. Mm-hmm. So in the first chapter in the book of Isaiah, God is addressing his people. Now that's important. He's not direct, directing, uh, addressing the pagan world or non-believers. He's addressing his people. That's the church today. Mm-hmm. And God says... Go ahead and have your holy festivals, your holy uh, convocations. Go ahead and lift up your hands in holy prayer to me. And then he says, I will not hear you. That That is a stench to my nostrils. I will not hear you. Mm-hmm. And you go, wow. Why is he saying that? And then he goes on, because your hands shed innocent blood. Mm-hmm. And what was going on with Israel at that time was the children of Israel were sacrificing their children uh, to the idols of Moloch, the pagan god, killing their mm-hmm. children. And that's a specific sin that God is addressing here. Mm-hmm. And he says, if you're involved in this, I don't care how holy you are and how righteous you are, I'm not going to listen to you. And and then uh, the very famous passage in that, that chapter that uh, we misquote, or we, we take out of context. We don't misquote it. We take it out of context. Now, it works out of context, but it's not the way, the meaning of the passage, mm-hmm. direct meaning of the passage. The, the, the passage that says, uh, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Beautiful mm-hmm. passage. Okay. We've used that in the Church over the years to address uh, the unsaved and say, you know, your sins are scarlet, God will make them white as snow. Well, it's true. Okay. But that's not the the context of the passage, because who is God speaking to? He's speaking to his children. He's speaking to the church. And the other thing that hit me about that passage is, um, what is the opposite of white? It's black, right? So how come the passage doesn't read, though your sins be as black as midnight, I will make them white as snow? Well, it's because of the, the, the sin of murdering their children that God is addressing. Crimson is a color of blood. Mm-hmm. And so I think a, a paraphrase, a good paraphrase of that would be, though your sins be bloody red with the murder of your children, I will make them white as snow. I think that's clearly the context of the, of, of the verse and of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Now, the Church has to grab onto this. I'm not asking pastors to rant and rave and pound the pulpit every Sunday morning about abortion. In fact, I, as pro-life as I am, I wouldn't even go to a church like that. It'd be annoying to me. Mm-hmm. But 
the message of the sanctity of life that we're all made in God's image and what's what's going on in our culture can be addressed almost in every sermon, uh, you know, with some anecdote or some statement about the beauty of life, how life is all valuable, and, and uh, you know, we have a culture of death. You know, it, it can just be fit in almost every time. Mm-hmm. Um, youth groups can need to be teaching their kids directly about this. And uh, and then there needs to be a, a ministry of healing in the church. Women aren't confessing, uh, and, and men are not confessing, because they're so ashamed of this, mm-hmm. and so deeply, deeply remorseful. And they feel like if they come out, it's they're going to be judged. And And so the whole culture of the church regarding this issue has to change. Mm-hmm. And um, once it changes... You're going to see what I what I witnessed in the Baltimore church, mm-hmm. and one of the thought is, of course, one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. We all know the story: building the wall. Uh, Nehemiah goes to the communities of, the, of Jerusalem, and they build their section of the wall. But in a very, uh, very, I believe it's chapter three, verse one. Um, I think the most significant verse in that whole book, it's mm-hmm. very simple, and you can just miss it all if you just read over it, but it says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and built the sheep gate. Mm-hmm. Now, the sheep gate was the gate that outside it, the sheep were being raised, and uh, the, the, the priests were raising the sheep, and then they'd walk the sheep through the sheep gate for the sacrifice of the temple. Mm-hmm. So... Number one, they rebuild the sheep gate, but more importantly, who's rebuilding the sheep gate? Mm-hmm. It's the spiritual leaders. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't the job of the high priests and the priests to get on their hands and knees and dig and, and plant bricks and start building. That was not their job, mm-hmm. but they did it, mm-hmm. and they led by example, and when the shepherds lead, the sheep will follow. Well, t- Pastors have to lead by example. That's right. That's right. Thomas, our time is just about completely gone here, though. But if uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you or NIFLA or just learn more about mm-hmm. the work and mission of NIFLA, uh, do you have a website you can share with our listeners? Yes. And NIFLA, N-I-F-L-A, real easy, NIFLA.org. NIFLA.org tells you all about us. Uh, we are a nonprofit 501c3 charity and certainly accept contributions to help us in our work, and there's a, a button there they can push that they'd like to share, like to uh, support us, but uh, we we have a network of pregnancy centers. You can call our office, and we can connect people to a local pregnancy center in their area, most likely. I, I don't know of any community that doesn't have one, so, um, you know, and go to the website, and you'll get our phone number there, and again, NIFLA, N-I-F-L-A dot org. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom. And also now, if someone is wanting to possibly get now uh, either uh, the new book, the the most recent book you've written, or just wants to maybe learn more about some of your writing and insights, uh, same website then? Uh, Actually, okay, so the book I referenced, Achieving Abortion for America, is 30 years old and it's out of print. We have 24 copies left. I probably need a rewrite on that right now in light of recent developments. But uh, I wrote a book and, and published in 2016 called uh, uh, Created Equal Reflections on the Unalienable Right to Life. All mm-hmm. they need to do is type in my name, Thomas Glessner, on Amazon, 
Thomas Glessner books, and it'll pop right up. And uh, we'd love to see people get copies of that book. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Well, as we normally do before we end the broadcast, if you're listening today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a great day to commit your heart and your life to the Lord. If you'd like to make that step and fully give your heart and life to the Lord, would you simply pray this prayer and commit your heart and life to the Lord even now? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so, so much. That You came into this world a long time ago. You lived. You died on the cross to pay for all my sins. Three days later, you rose up from the dead so that I could be saved. Lord, I confess, I've sinned and done wrong in many, many ways. Lord, I repent and turn from all the wrong I've done. Forgive me, Lord, for all the wrong things I've done. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Make me all the person that you would have me to be. You said in the word of God, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, today, I'm calling on your name. Lord, save me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live my entire life for you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're very much wanting to be in touch with you, to share with you some literature and resources that are going to help you to begin to grow and grow strong in your new walk with the Lord. My email to get in touch with us is simply joseph at afr.net. Again, that's joseph at afr.net. Again, we're glad to and want to share with you resources and prayer tools and spiritual growth materials that will help you to begin to become a vibrant and strong follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Tom, thanks again so much for being with us today. Share one more time the website if someone wants to get more information or be in touch with NIFLA. Sure, it's NIFLA, N-I-F-L-A dot org. NIFLA dot org. And go straight to the website and read all about it. All right. Thanks so much, Tom, for being on again. Our guest is Attorney Thomas Glessner, the president of NIFLA. Thanks for listening. Please pray much for the ongoing work and mission of NIFLA, again, which is National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for the Hour of Intercession. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.